WCBN. Good evening, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley, and Jim Dwyer this evening is uh, either on the road back from Pittsburgh or still in Pittsburgh. So we wish him well there. Hope he doesn't run into any of these uh, unbelievable uh, rainstorms that are just kind of hanging around the Midwest, uh, Texas, and every which way. We had a tropical storm that's dumped a lot of precipitation all over the Ohio River Valley and boy Ann Arbor the last couple days is uh, sort of resembling the Costa Rican rainforest. Well hopefully uh, the rain and thunder showers have moved out of the area and top of the park will happen over on the Ingalls Mall tonight but uh, boy we've even had some bad luck with that. Anyway uh, obviously it would be kind of nice to maybe talk about the encyclical by the Pope regarding uh, global warming and uh, uh, consumerism and all that as it relates to uh, America's uh, responsibilities in that regard. Uh, might even be nice to talk about the fact that the U.N. reported uh, that there were 60 million refugees last year fleeing warfare, mainly in the Middle East and in uh, sub-Saharan Africa. But instead, of course... Uh, we have yet another uh, major gun tragedy, and whether this is going to uh, be a game changer or not, it's uh, very strange that the action that seems to be resulting out of this uh, obviously act of terrorism, I don't know why there's a debate about that, uh, we have a, a misguided, uh, very inexperienced, probable high school dropout. I don't know that he ever finished high school. I don't think they've revealed that. We won't mention his name. I will mention the fact that his uh, middle name, oddly enough, is an anagram of Strom Thurmond. <laughs> Not the last name, the first name. So that in and of itself tells you quite a bit. Instead, what we get is uh, a prolonged debate about the Confederate flag. And uh, while uh, flags are... <laughs> are in the news in the Middle East. Uh, it's interesting to note that there was a uh, a town that was taken by uh, Kurdish forces from ISIS over the weekend. And uh, this, this past week, and one of the featured highlights of the story was the fact that the Kurdish uh, rebels, who were basically an offshoot of the PKK, a Kurdish separatist group uh, emanating out of Turkey, that this particular border town that fell, they put up their flag and took down the flag of ISIS. So, <laughs> capture the flag is in the news uh, in more ways than one. 
Uh, late uh, breaking news today is that the governor of, Cal- of uh, South Carolina, um, Ms. Haley, Nikki Haley, uh, has apparently called a special session of the South Carolina State Legislature to uh, remove the Confederate flag from the Capitol grounds. The Confederate flag apparently was erected on the dome of the Capitol of South Carolina back in 1962 as part of a protest uh, really related to the Civil Rights Movement and Brown versus the Board of Education and the reassertion of this mythical issue regarding states' rights and the Civil War. Um, Needless to say, the history is all muddled up here uh, for a variety of reasons, and Americans continue to be confused about what the Civil War was about, (laughs) Uh, because it was about slavery. Uh, At the end of the day, the revisionist theory that it was about states' rights came into being uh, later. Uh, And I'm going to read some very interesting observations by Gregory Downs from an article that appeared in the New York Times Sunday edition several weeks ago on the 150th anniversary of the surrender of Robert E. Lee to Ulysses S. Grant at Appomattox, entitled The Dangerous Myth of Appomattox. And uh, while I don't really profess to be a a true expert on the Civil War uh, compared to, say, my expertise on the Cold War, the Vietnam War, or World War II, um, I, I can basically, it, it, you know, the Civil War started in South Carolina. Uh, that's where the rebels fired on Fort Sumter. And after Abraham Lincoln was uh, sworn into office, there, were, there was a secessionist movement. And most of the states that had slavery seceded from the Union. Um Politically and uh, in public, of course, Abraham Lincoln, who had long debated the issue of slavery in the famous Lincoln-Douglas debates, uh, particularly in 1858, when both were running for the Senate in the state of Illinois. Lincoln lost that race, by the way. Douglas was the Democrat. And Nixon, uh, Nixon, excuse me, Abraham Lincoln became the standard bearer of the Republican Party in the 1860 election. In 1856, the first election in which the Republican Party ran a presidential candidate, they ran an explorer, kind of a well-known explorer named John Fremont. And it's interesting to note, by the way, that the modern Republican Party at least in their so-called official history, was actually founded in Jackson, Michigan. And without going into all of the details, the Republican Party was essentially the remnants of the Whigs combined with some populists, some free soilers, some know-nothings as sort of a hodgepodge of uh, fringe uh, political groups. Uh, And they decided that they were in opposition to the Democratic Party, which had sort of dominated um, many of the elections when the 
American version of the Democratic Party was essentially founded by Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson, of course, was a Southerner. He owned slaves. He was a famous war hero. And he created a new sort of Western Southern populism uh, that uh, basically defended slavery still. Obviously, the uh, famous uh, events of 1850 and the Dred Scott case and all of these various things that happened that led up to the Civil War are part of the long, sorry, history of the Civil War. But uh, the, the fact of the matter is there are continue to be, I think, three states in the South that fly the so-called Confederate flag. And uh, if all that's going to come out of this tragedy in Charleston, South Carolina, is a uh, removal of a flagpole on the Capitol grounds uh, in South Carolina, uh, I, I think that's simply inadequate. Obviously, when people are slaughtered in a church, um, our country has to reevaluate some things, in all honesty. And I'm, I'm not really seeing any courage from the politicians. It's interesting that it took Mitt Romney, who was the first prominent national Republican, to actually call for the removal of the Confederate flag. He did this, I think, in a tweet, maybe. <laughs> and over the uh, weekend, uh, the presidential candidates uh, all remained relatively silent on the issue or dodged the question. Uh, we had Captain Courageous uh, Scott Walker uh, claim that he didn't want to talk about the issue until all the bodies were buried. <laughs> um, Mike Huckabee uh, appeared on a national news show on Sunday, and his statement, to paraphrase it, was essentially, well, you know, we can't have anybody outside the state of South Carolina telling South Carolina what to do, which, of course, is yet another uh, coded expression of states' rights. And uh, while states' rights has uh, continued to be a debate in our political um, discourse for many, many decades now, this uh, states' rights uh, reemergence as, as a modern issue in the 20th century, of course, erupted in, 18, in 1948 when Strom Thurmond, who previous to that time had been a Democrat, uh, bolted from the uh, the Democratic Party at the convention and ran for president under a label called the Dixiecrat. And this, of course, was to apparently revive uh, the spirit of Dixie. Um, my recollection is that he carried either five states or six states, and uh, he ran as an open segregationist. Uh, he was upset at Harry Truman who had uh, issued an executive order calling for the desegregation of the American military. Um, and this, the fact that Strom Thurmond left the Democratic Party, formed the Dixiecrat Party for a presidential run, and then later became a Republican. He was the first major uh, Republican political figure to switch parties like that changed the dynamics of American uh, politics thereafter. And we've seen over the years uh, 
Republican candidates use coded words to articulate a sort of hardcore states' rights agenda. Richard Nixon in 1968 developed a thing called the Southern Strategy. And the idea of the Southern Strategy was to take away uh, Democratic, uh, th that previous to that time had voted frequently Democratic in presidential elections, away from the Democrats um, and into the Republican Party. George Wallace, of course, ran in 1968 as the American Independent Party. Uh, he was a Democratic, sitting Democratic governor from the state of Alabama, and he, of course, was famous or infamous, we should say, for standing in the, uh, for saying segregation now, segregation forever. And 1962, of course, was a critical year in the civil rights movement. This was the beginning of the effort by the Kennedy administration, for instance, uh, the James Meredith case in uh, the state of Mississippi. Federal troops had been called into a variety of southern states to enforce not only the Brown versus uh, Board of Education, but other uh, civil rights um, laws uh, that were openly being ignored in the South. And we should not be sweeping this history under the rug as readily as uh, many of our uh, 21st century politicians wish to do, uh, because this, uh, the fact that, there, that, that this massacre occurred in a church, a historically African-American church, is a tragedy really beyond comprehension. How ironic that we have this... Uh, Proposal by Governor uh, Haley of uh, South Carolina emerging today. How ironic that this incident occurred in, in, in the very week in which uh, there's a trial underway out in Colorado about a, a character who dressed up as the Joker and went to a opening night of Batman, uh, one of the Batman sequels, and opened five, you know, had a... Had a Heavily armed, he was wearing body armor and killed 12 people, wounded 70. And the debate that they're having uh, in Colorado as the trial progresses, uh, and by the way, the prosecution rested today, so the defense is upcoming, is whether or not the criminal suspect in Colorado was sane or not. He is pleading insanity. Well, we know that the suspect in uh, <clears throat> South Carolina, and he's not a suspect anymore. He uh, confessed to this uh, horrendous crime, uh, w w was uh, featuring himself on Facebook, sporting the Confederate flag, and amazingly, the flag of Rhodesia, which, of course, was an apartheid-style colony uh, in uh, the African continent, now known as Zimbabwe, Robert Mugabe, the current um, dictator of, Muga of uh, Zimbabwe, and there's no other way to characterize him other than a dictator, of course was uh, uh, foisted into the position of the so-called president of Zimbabwe 
because he fought the uh, minority government uh, in Rhodesia, um, b- you know, for a long time uh, before Rhodesia was uh, officially uh, apartheid was ended there. And the apartheid system in Rhodesia, by the way, resembled uh, in many uh, shapes and forms the apartheid system in South Africa. South Africa being a probably well far better known uh, example of racial racism, a, a, a racist government in charge, uh, which w- of course... Uh, was led, the, the, the overthrow of the white government in South Africa was led by Nelson Mandela, who was a member of the ANC, and became a sort of iconic figure, interestingly, in the uh, music uh, world. Free Nelson Mandela. Yeah. Well, getting back to the dangerous myths about the Civil War and whether or not... Um, the Confederate flag, what it really represents. Obviously, we've the revisionist theory now is that the Confederate flag is a um, you know when you when you listen to these people calling in on shows, uh, they 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 say that the Confederate flag is a is a source of pride and heritage that Southerners call in and say, well, my. My great-great-grandfather fought for the Confederacy, and uh, we weren't racists. Well, many of the soldiers that volunteered for the Confederacy volunteered for all sorts of incorrect reasons. And it's rather interesting that, of course, this uh, character in, uh, in South Carolina uh, doesn't seem to have even completed high school, and yet he saw fit to post-racist... Uh, nonsense on his Facebook page. He had some obsession with the number 88, which apparently is a sort of a neo-Nazi number popular with white white, uh, hate groups, Um, probably uh, somewhat connected to maybe the SS in uh, Germany. You can see how the, the SS emblem would resemble the number 88, and I'm a little unclear why this uh, guy had, quote, 88 friends on his Facebook page. Quite uh, quite telling. And I wanted to mention this uh, rather interesting article by Gregory Downs, who is an associate professor of history at City College in uh, at City University in New York City and the author of After Appomattox, Military Occupation and the End of the War. Because I think this was a really revealing essay about the real problems of the end of the Civil War. Earlier this year, of course, uh, Americans recognized the sesquicentennial of the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. And I have no doubt that the assassination of Abraham Lincoln had a profoundly deleterious effect on the resulting chaos that occurred in the South following the Civil War. Abraham Lincoln 
was perhaps our greatest president. You can make an argument that perhaps it was Franklin Roosevelt. But one thing that you cannot dispute, and that is that Abraham Lincoln was our greatest character president. He was the president with the most wisdom, the most common sense, the greatest honesty. There was a reason he was called Honest Abe. He was a populist. He knew how to appeal to the common people. He's famous for many, many lines. Uh, the Gettysburg Address and his second inaugural are considered some of the greatest prose in the English language. The Gettysburg Address, allegedly written on the back of an envelope while Lincoln took a train from Washington, D.C. to Gettysburg to honor the dead. This, of course, was back in 1863. He issued the Emancipation Proclamation, etc., etc. Well, reading from Gregory Downs for a moment, he writes, On April 9, 1865, Palm Sunday, Ulysses S. Grant and Robert E. Lee negotiated their famous Gentleman's Agreement of Surrender in the ensuing celebration, a relieved Grant told his men, quote, the war is over, unquote. But Grant soon discovered he was wrong. And yet the Appomattox myth persisted and continues today. By severing the war's conflict from the, re from the reconstruction that followed, it drains meaning from the Civil War, and it turns it into a family feud a fight that ended with regional reconciliation. It also, it also fosters with regional, excuse me, it also fosters a national amnesia about the wars, about what wars are and how they end. A lacuna that has undermined American post-war efforts ever since. And a lacuna, of course, is sort of a, a dead end. <laughs> it's a nice word for dead end. Um, um, to enforce its might over a largely rural population, the Union Army marched across the South after Appomattox, occupying more than 750 towns and proclaiming the emanci emancipation by military order. This little-known occupation by tens of thousands of federal troops um, and I can't read this word because I've got too much ink on it, remade, excuse me, the South in ways that the Washington proclamations alone could not. And yet, as late as 1869, President Grant's attorney general argued that some rebel states remained in the grasp of war. When white politicians expelled every black member of the state legislature and began a murderous campaign of intimidation. Congress and Grant extended military rule there until 1871. Meanwhile, Southern soldiers continued to fight as insurgents, terrorizing blacks across the region. One congressman estimated that 50,000 Afro-American Americans were murdered by white Southerners in the first quarter century following the emancipation. It is a fatal mistake 
May a wicked misery to talk of peace or the institutions of peace, a federal attorney wrote almost two years after Appomattox. We are at the very vortex of war. Gregory Downs continues, Once white Southerners, uh, excuse me, white Southern Democrats overthrew Reconstruction between the 1870s and the 1890s, they utilized the Appomattox myth to erase the connection between the popular, neatly concluded Civil War and the continuing battles of Reconstruction. By the 20th century, history textbooks and popular films like The Birth of the Nation made the Civil War an honorable conflict among white Americans and Reconstruction a corrupt racial tyranny of black over white, a judgment since overturned by historians uh, like W.E.B. Du Bois and Eric Foner. Uh, Eric Foner, by the way, I would recommend as the preeminent expert historian on the Civil War. He's wrote excellent books about not only the Civil War, but about Reconstruction, which, of course, is a very complex period in American history. And as Down suggests in this uh, editorial that he wrote on the sesquicentennial of the surrender at Appomattox, where um, Lee, Robert E. Lee, turned his sword over to Ulysses S. Grant. Lee, of course, has been turned into a heroic figure uh, in our American history books as a general who had been trained at West Point, who decided that... uh, because he was from Virginia, and Virginia, by the way, was uh, where the capital of the Confederacy was, that he had to honor what the state of Virginia ruled. And this has become part of the myth, in my opinion, of the state's rights myth. Uh, Certainly the uh, American government and America itself was heavily divided by uh, the issue of slavery. Uh, this was part of the so-called Missouri Compromise of 1850 that allowed Missouri to be a slave state with Kansas uh, uh, brought into the Union as a, quote, free state. And there was this continuing battle of representation in the United States Congress to allow this sort of balance of power to uh, sort of postpone, kick the can down the road, so to speak, regarding slavery. Now, the Dred Scott case, of course, is one of the most infamous and worst rulings by the Supreme Court in American history, and it contributed mightily to the start of the Civil War. Obviously, Missouri, just for the record, was what was known as a border state, Slavery was legal there, but they did not secede from the Union. And it's rather interesting and notable, I think, to point out that the secession of the southern states from the, quote, Union allowed the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to pass because they weren't in the Union. 
<laughs> it's sort of like uh, the Soviet Union walking out of the Security Council in 1950 in response to the invasion of South Korea by North Korea that allowed the American government to railroad through a resolution that made the Korean War technically a U.N. action. And we still don't have an official uh, peace treaty over the Korean War, just for the record. Uh, it is called an ongoing ceasefire. Well, uh, it's exceedingly disappointing that the, the ceasefire that we're going to get uh, in response to these horrible events that occurred in Charleston, South Carolina, is going to be the removal of a Confederate flag that was erected in 1962. We know why it was erected. It had very little to do with the Civil War. Uh, revisionists will claim that, well, this was the 100th anniversary of the Civil War. Well, not exactly. The Civil War started in 1861 and it ended in 1865. What does 1862 have to do with the Civil War? Well, there were some notable Confederate victories early in the war when it's quite clear that the Union uh, generals were uh, run by some incompetence that Abraham Lincoln eventually had to replace. So it's unfortunate that this is going to be the only palpable result out of this uh, tragedy of unbelievable proportions. Apparently the murder of 26-year-old children in a school in Connecticut, and 12 people, including 70 people wounded, some people paralyzed, I might add, in a movie theater in Colorado. And now we have this church incident, and what do we have in, in response to uh, these nutbags that continue to get guns? Nothing. Well, they have a constitutional right. And we're going to have silence from the presidential candidates on these issues. The Democrats are quite familiar that this is toxic territory for them, and the Republicans are not going to buck the NRA. It has a membership of 4.5 million people. They give out money like nobody's business, and they have Congress, the bootlickers, the cowards, and the people that will do nothing in response to this horrific event, and these horrific events will continue the gun violence in America will continue, and what we will have is a continuing revisionist discussion of both the Second Amendment and, for that matter, issues revolving around the Civil War. I'm noticing that Weston is getting ready to go here, so we are about to turn over the controls of WCBN-FM over to him. Uh, you have been listening to Gray Matters, and we'll be back next week uh, at our usual time about 6.30. So do stay tuned. Yazoo City Calling, coming up next right here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Everyone's a winner, bargains galore. That's right, you two can be the proud owner of the quality goes in before that name goes on. That's to quit smoking, it's a friend, it's a companion, it's the only product you will ever need. Follow these easy assembly instructions, it never needs ironing. If not completely satisfied, mail back unused portion of product for a complete refund of price of punches. The product gives you an erection, it wins the election. Gets rid of blackheads, heartbreak, and psoriasis. Christ, you don't know the meaning of heartbreak, buddy. Come on, come on. Don't settle for less. How do we do it? How do we do it? Volume, volume, turn up the volume. 
guys. Don't hesitate. Don't be caught with your drawers down. Don't be caught with your drawers down. You can step right up. You got it, buddy. A large print giver and a small print taker. 